Welcome to Frontier 3, presented by PatSnap. In this 20-episode podcast series, we'll be unpacking the innovation ecosystem of Web3. From tokenized physical goods to the digital assets and smart contracts that will build the metaverse, Web3 is one of the biggest technological and socioeconomic paradigm shifts in history. Join PatSnap's co-founder, Ray Chohan, for a fascinating deep dive into how Web3 will fundamentally change how we live, work, and play. Welcome to Frontier 3. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Frontier 3 presented by PatSnap. In today's episode, our host, Ray Chohan, sits down with Jonathan Hooker. Jonathan has two passions in life, building great businesses and designing next generation technology. These passions have taken him across the globe from creating content for Microsoft in Seattle to defining IPO presentations for Merrill Lynch in Hong Kong. Jonathan is currently deep in the blockchain space and has an immense thirst for digital change and solving world problems with smart technology. You're absolutely going to love today's episode with Jonathan Hooker. Enjoy. Today's episode is brought to you by PatSnap. Learn how to unlock your limitless innovation potential with connected innovation intelligence. CII is an AI-powered technology that combs through millions of disparate data points, segments them by industry and relevance, and weaves the insights together to create a meaningful narrative. The result? A holistic 360-degree market view where you can easily spot risks, identify opportunities, and accelerate the pace of innovation. We created the definitive guide to connected innovation intelligence to give you an in-depth understanding of how CII can help your business innovate better. If you want to grab a copy of this, head over to patsnap.com or click the link in the description of this podcast to get it today. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. Well, well, Jonathan, I'm, I'm excited to just have you on today. Um, as I mentioned, I came across Holon actually on Real Vision, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. you had one of your team on, on Real Vision. And, and just the talk around energy storage, the thesis on Tesla, it just caught my imagination. And, and your view on storage, on how big, the market will actually need to be that just god that just took me down jonathan <laughs> like a crazy yeah. rabbit hole i want to interview twice after that because i was i was pretty speechless and i just love the ambition at whole yeah, yeah. so that jumped on linkedin i'll see you being a, a great builder there and a, a key leader in the team there so so thank you for coming on and should we kick off with a little bit just about your backstory, Jonathan, how you ended up in Sydney at Holon, just just your professional journey, if we could kick off there, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So look, uh, I I left like every, most kids in the UK, I left to go to university. And um, I, I was actually one of only five people in the UK to get on a broadcast engineering course with the BBC. And, you know, it was a, it, it was a good course, but, you know, as I went through education, it, it probably wasn't the right style of learning for me. So I bounced around a little bit and never really kind of, um, I never really got the best of it. But a couple of years later, I actually started working for a, a digital agency in London. And that's really where I really, I accelerated my journey because I have such a thirst for, I have such a passion 
for technology, software, and just learning and, and really learning of as many people as possible. So that's, that's where I kind of got sent around the world to work uh, on any digital project for a, a company called Concise out of London. And uh, yeah, I was literally sent everywhere. I was working for uh, BlackBerry, Microsoft, MasterCard, Visa, lots of big Hong Kong com uh, banks as well. So that's kind of really where I realized the world uh, it, it is truly amazing. You just have to go out and grab it, basically. Yeah, it's interesting because if you look at the founder of Outlier Ventures, which I know you're the Australian ambassador for it, so, so Jamie Burke, his background's in the marketing stroke agency world. I, I find a lot of people in this space, or actually even within the software space, start off in the world of kind of digital marketing on the agency side. It looks like you developed some really powerful core skills there which are very valuable further in your career Did, have you found that looking back now your time at concise has enabled you to get to where you are today and kind of allow you to frame markets in, in a certain way yeah I, I think that's really important if you look at anybody that comes out of advertising marketing or digital agencies that create things for blue chips and banks when we go into a meeting we have to deliver and we have to see the problem really quickly. And that's the key with people like Jamie Burke and myself. We, we just have to build, we, uh, we go through our career and we have to build, uh, we have to build the, the next step with the smallest amount of resources in the quickest time to get to the next round of investment. And I think that's a, that's a key attribute that you kind of get in those industries. Yeah, it's interesting because you have to get your arms around a customer swiftly don't you it could be just a one minute it could be blackberry or then it could be black and decker or it could be apple so you have to quickly just get your arms around the the value prop the vision for project x and then be savvy enough to present it in a clear and concise way so i'm guessing that 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 repetition and that muscle must be so valuable when you're deploying capital in uh, opaque unclear markets yeah, yeah. Look, um, it also gives you ability to understand people really quickly. I mean, that that's a broad sweeping comment. And, you know, nobody really understands people, but, you know, because everybody's complex. But when you pitch something every month to a new big company and you need to see the problems they're facing and sometimes you see the technology is not the problem, it's getting their management buying is really the problem then you kind of you, you just work smart not hard uh work smart right and um well i've i've set up a few business in my time some have failed some have succeeded and the ones that uh have failed have taught me more than the ones that have succeeded just because you you, you realize how to manage yourself in a business and that's one of the key things i think everybody underestimates when they're actually built you know, in a new industry or trying to build a big uh, new new business is you, you really got to understand how do you manage yourself and how do you manage this business to take it to the next step with founders brilliant so, so then i can see on linkedin you were at tap events for a short while then move across to sydney australia what was the backstory behind the move because it, it seems like they're what's it um phonics hero you started your own business so that, that seems interesting what well, it seems like is that is that when you took your first leap as, as a founder back in in 2010 in sydney yeah so tap offense was actually just so 
what people don't realize is, uh, you know, you, you get all these software languages that come out uh, over the years and each software language iterates on the last and can do something quicker than the last, right? So Tap Events, um, we had a previous team in another company built this bit of software. It took 30 engineers around about two years to build this. In, it's, uh, it was kind of an electronic uh, events app service. So you turn up an event, you get a uh, iPad and you get all the event material on the iPad, right? The, the key thing is um, after, so in about 2013, there was a software come out at AngularJS. And basically we replicated the previous company with one engineer in three months. So what I'm trying to get to here is, uh, is really when you, when you uh, pick up new languages, you can actually build really new smart companies off them that can leverage off that technology. And that, that tap events that I set up, I actually sold it to a Hong Kong event company because it was being used by like JP Morgan and Berenberg Bank. And that was only after the first eight or nine months. So uh, after I sold that, I actually, previously I set up uh, Phonics Hero and that helps children to read and spell with uh, synthetic phonics. And that actually took about four year, four engineers, four years to build. It's actually one of the largest HTML5 gaming platforms on earth. Um, it actually got an award by Google, one of the best startups in, uh, I forget which year it was now. So Google went out to Silicon Valley and met a few people from Google to you know, show what we were doing, which was great. And from that move, um, I was in London and I, uh, after being back from seven years in Honkers and some time in the US, I, was, I just had the itch again and I just had to get out and start a new life again in Sydney. And that's where I started doing some extra work for Phonics Hero. But that's really just before that trip, I was actually, I'm actually friends with Jamie Burke in the UK and we were talking about blockchain technology and I started my own kind of angel investment in Sydney. Um, and that's really where my deep dive into blockchain, Web3 and this whole revolution started. Okay, thanks, Owen. Thanks for that context, Jonathan. And, and, and a big part of Frontier 3 is actually trying to engage folks on LinkedIn because I've I've spent quite a lot of time analysing a lot of the posts. Obviously, crypto Twitter is huge, right? And that universe has got its own velocity. But it's interesting on LinkedIn where you've got like tons of Web2 practitioners, right? Most of the folks on LinkedIn are pretty much Web2. What I still find on LinkedIn is the lack of engagement and awareness around Web3. It's still like insanely early. And if I look at a lot of the comments on posts or just the volume of likes on posts, we're still relatively early for people really getting it on how big actually Web3 will be. So it'll be great just to kind of set the stage and get a framing of A, what brought you into the world of Web3 and blockchain and kind of the the framing of it, of what it actually will mean moving forward. Because I think there's some nuance there, which everyone slightly explains it in a different way. So we'd love to just hear your view on Web3 and, and the future. Yeah, sure. So I, I, let me explain it from my experience. I, I built a company, a Phonics, Phonics Hero, and that website or gaming platform has the ability to teach every child in the, in the world to read and spell, right? Uh, for a very small amount of money, right? Like just the computation 
and, uh, and the device that they need to learn on. And it dumbfounded me that why, why is it so cheap to teach kids to read and spell, but not everybody has the access, right? Like the world is an unfair place, right? And I just have a passion to try and make the world a little bit fairer. And that plays into Web3, right? Because now in Web3, we have all these decentralized networks where anybody can join at any time. Anybody can derive value from that network. And if you're a good actor, you will be repaid for it on chain uh, in a trustless way. And I think that is really a revolution. And that's, that's why I'm here in Web3. It's fundamentally the underlining values of Web3 where it's inclusive. And regardless if you're sitting here in London or Sydney or a kid in a certain part of Africa, you can participate if you add value and you're a good actor. It's that kind of leveling the play of playing field, which kind of really resonates with your values, I'm guessing. Absolutely, absolutely. We, uh, hold on, we, we run a hackathon this year uh, and one of the guys was ca- from Cameroon uh, we had lots of people from RMIT in uh, Melbourne. We have some people uh, uh, f- uh, basically from Hong Kong, all, all over our, uh, APAC and Oceania, basically. Uh, and one of the guys from Cameroon won about uh, 5,000 US dollars of Filecoin. That's because he rolled up his sleeve, he learned some technology, and, and he had a go. And that, I just think, is really the ethos of what we're in, right? It's everybody can take part in this. Uh, it's a, pl- a fair playing field, uh, and that's really kind of what what we're investing in this n- this new breed of technology where everybody can be part of it. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's uh, it, the underlining tech creates that perfect environment, doesn't it? Where everyone can participate. It doesn't matter doesn't matter what color, race, creed you are. If you add value, you add value, right? And so it's that, that bias is really removed from this new world and if you look at if you if you dig it into it further you're gonna have people who have their own pseudo digital identity so they can be anyone right as long as they're adding value they get treated accordingly so so i, I couldn't agree with you more on that front and and so this segues into holon so it'll be great to get, get the backstory of holon and, and what drew you to the organization and the history of holon and 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 the underlying investment thesis for, for the organization yeah, sure. So look, um, the company started in 2017. It was originally an, uh, an asset manager. So we have a, the Photon Fund, which invests in really digital stocks that are innovating the world. Um, but Heath Bankey, the founder, and Luke Bankey, uh, the twin brothers, had a vision to build a, an asset manager that could be really anything. And you, you really want to think of us as a, a, an innovation, uh, an investment firm that invests in the bleeding edge and the innovative digital stocks that are changing the world. So uh, the business has three arms. We have an asset manager, as I said, uh, we're launching some digital asset funds uh, next year as well. We've also got a Holon wholesale uh, Filecoin fund, which is already launched. Uh, we have a VC arm. So we've got two investments. Uh, which uh, we're super excited about. Um, I can't mention them here, but uh, we'll, we'll probably announce them next year. And we have an innovation arm, which, are, which is the area that I run. And on our side of the business, we've launched some Filecoin storage provider infrastructure. 
So we want to be the one of the largest uh, storage providers uh, in APAC uh, over the next couple of years. So we've got the Filecoin project we're running, and then next year we're actually going to do some infrastructure for Ethereum validator nodes, which are gener will generate yield for investors um, and pension funds. And then we're going to look at doing something within the Bitcoin space as well. Um, so yeah, 2022 is going to be really interesting, but uh, on my side, it's really where we play with these new decentralized networks. And the, the key thing is like, right, as long as we keep the values of why we're in this space uh, and we always look for the unique value proposition, then I think that's the key important, the, the key importance as we kind of go forward in this space, because it really is emerging. There's lots of noise and it's very important to filter the noise for you know, valuable information. So you guys have a similar setup too. In terms of on the equity side, is it fair to say you're, you're similar to ARK Invest based in the US in terms of doubling down and having an exclusive focus on kind of frontier tech businesses, innovation-led organization? Is, it, is, that, is that the asset management side very akin to like an ARK in terms of view of the world? Yeah, definitely. A any stock that's really going to be uh, that's going to go on an exponential tear for the next 20 to 40 years. We really think of things over a 20 year period, 10 to 20 years. Like there's no point in, uh, in the crypto space. Everybody has a short attention span. Right. You know what's happening next week, next month or in the next couple of months. Right. But we, we really do take a long term view of all our stocks on the asset management side you can really think of us as like an arc plus a grayscale plus a bison trails that was bought by coinbase a couple of years back um because ultimately you're going to see we're going to see massive disruption in every industry is uh that web3 starts to kind of disrupt brilliant and so, so to, to your side of the business where you've got the kind of the Google X stroke innovation, pure innovation side. Why, why did you guys select the Filecoin kind of uh, protocol and, and just the, the, the data storage part of the world, part of Web3? It, was there a background story to that? Does that tie into other parts of the organization or the, or the wider vision for Holon? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the three most important conversations going on today is Governments are debasing money, so where do you put your money? Uh, banks um, are ripe for disruption. So Ethereum is, is gonna be the new business logic platform for the world. And as users, our data is being taken from us and we have no rights over that data. So that, that, that area is ripe for disruption. Juan uh, Benet uh, in 2014 raised capital uh, with uh, uh, A16 and the Winklevoss twins to build out IPFS and Filecoin. Ultimately, mm -hmm. at the moment, if you look at the way the internet is structured, um, every time you get a bit of content, you go back to one server, you pick it up, you go back to the server, you pick it up. It's a really inefficient system, uh, which is called location-based addressing, which is HTTP. Now, Juan created a, a thing called CID, content-based addressing. And what it allows you to do is, uh, it allows you to have any piece of data on the internet, which makes that piece of data immutable. So you know that piece of data is exactly that piece of data. 
and you can pick that data off from the nearest source. So if you looked at uh, that bit of content on your laptop and I was in the same room as you, I could get the contact from your laptop instead of going back to a server that might be a thousand miles away. So it's so IPFS, the underlying, underlying technology for Filecoin, is just more efficient way to run the internet. So if we, if we take that as a value proposition, right, this technology is a better way to run the internet and it's a, a safer and more, more secure way, then how do, we, how do we take that technology and incentivize people around the world to create infrastructure for that technology so we can build this new architecture to the internet? And really that's what Filecoin is. Filecoin is an incentive layer, Filecoin, over this IPFS technology. And, you know, Filecoin is six and a half thousand times larger than its nearest competitor. It's the, the, the big gorilla in the room and people don't really know what it is. They don't really understand it. But it, whenever I look at the top hundred, I just every time I, I look at Filecoin, I just get absolutely blown away. It's just, you know, the. They've gone from no infrastructure to 14 exabytes, which is it's around two and a half billion US dollars of infrastructure in 12 months. They went from no storage providers to three and a half thousand in 12 months. They have thousands of developers. They have hundreds of projects on the ecosystem. The capital is just flooding in because institutional investors like Holon see the opportunity and think, right, Let's not. We don't invest in wishy-washy, hyped technology uh, Web three projects. We invest in big ideas that have big value propositions that have the people behind it that can execute. And if you just do a bit of research, you know, Consensus are also building technology for Filecoin, so they can integrate Filecoin and uh, Ethereum uh, with one click. So the Ethereum EVM will connect straight to Filecoin. So you, you'll be writing your contracts on Ethereum and storing the data on your on, on the Filecoin network. So yeah, we're, we're pretty bullish on Filecoin. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And I observed Filecoin from a distance back in 2017 because I think they also, and I kicked myself for this slightly because I, the underlier, I remember, well, partly reading the white paper and also they'd done a coin list offering back in the back in the day, didn't they? Uh, if, if memory serves me correctly. So I've I have been from a distance been observing the project. But when I first saw Filecoin, and I know our audience will knee jerk to this proxy immediately, don't they go after, obviously you've got organizations like Dropbox who've done a, a hell of a job in the Web2 world. And obviously you've got the, the big three or four who have their own storage capabilities and they're huge and have huge balance sheets. So is that potentially a risk for Filecoin fundamentally, where you've got other Web2 players who could um, go down a Web3 route? Or is there a challenge of, of gaining market share? Because when I first saw Filecoin, it, the concept made sense, but I, I knee-jerked and just fell back to Dropbox or mm. the other big three or four. I, I don't know if you get that question often as a knee-jerk. Yeah, just yeah. To, rebuttal to Filecoin. So, so it'll be grateful to your audience in a, in a, as like a seven-year-old would understand it. Like what is the fundamental difference of, of the, the two schools of thought and why do you think Filecoin is going to win? Yeah. So we, we always get that question. Like what, why, what is Amazon going to do about this thing called Filecoin? Yeah. Right. And how they're going to compete. The key thing, like let's go back to like how it works. Right. We take a lot of green energy 
we then run some hardware in a data center. We, we make something called verifiable data storage. Verifiable data storage allows you to know that it's there, uh, know that nobody's moved it, uh, nobody's touched it, nobody's looked at it, uh, and you control and own that data. And that's really important uh, if you think about a, a Web3 Dropbox. Now, we are allowing you, Ray, to store your family data on this, uh, on this, in this piece of software, and you can cryptographically know that nobody's touched it, and you can decide how redundant, redundant it is. You can decide, okay, I want to keep my data in the UK, and I want to keep it in uh, the Netherlands and Germany. Uh, and I also want to have, uh, if something happens to me, I want to hand all this data over to my partner. And the key thing is we are empowering you uh, for this Web3 revolution, right? We're giving you more power. Now, why is Amazon, uh, what's, how is Amazon going to partake in this Web3 data storage system? Now, I think they actually, they start using Filecoin for different parts of their of their technology stack. And I think that's where any business does, starts using it. Like, if you think about credit card details, you actually want to own and control those credit card details, but you want to give people access to them when they, when they need it and then take them away when you don't want them to have it. So it really is just that kind of, I, I think of it as like the next iteration of how the internet works. It's, not, it's really not a competition between old and new. You're still going to need uh, location-based uh, addressing. You're still going to need Amazon uh, services. It just so happens that parts of the technolo technology stack will migrate to Web3. Okay, so that makes, what, what prevents someone like an AWS building their version of a Filecoin and, and their version of a decentralized offering, which has similar capabilities? Well, Ray, you know, it's not really decentralized if it's one player building it, right? We, we, we kind of all know that. And, you know, there's a big argument, you know, how decentralized is decentralized technology, right? Because you, <laughs> you can have EOS, which only has 21 validator nodes that I'd probably just call a jumped up computer. Uh, and then you've got Ethereum, which is moving to proof of stake, which will have, you know, hundreds of thousands of, uh, of validators. Um, or you can have the Bitcoin network, which is which is the most decentralized uh, network where everybody's running their, you know, mining machines all over the world. So, you know, Amazon can do whatever they want. But if at that time Filecoin has, you know, 50,000 storage providers distributed all over the world, you just can use Filecoin because it just makes sense because you get optionality. And you really want to think of Amazon as like they're in the data center game. They build data centers and their data storage to them is a CapEx problem, right? But in Web3, Filecoin, it's an innovation problem, right? So you think of it like this. So that they build a data center. There's a thousand racks in that data center. They spend a few billion on it and suddenly they've got to sell all that storage, right? Because they've already built it. However, if you think about distributed models like Filecoin, you can put a data center on the end of every street. So mum and pop can go and buy a petabyte of data storage, put a computer next to it to deliver data out, and suddenly that little node is, an, is delivering Netflix 
for its local community. And that, that what's happening there is we're, we're seeing micro data centers pop up, which is far more efficient for delivering technology, but also scaling. Yeah, this is interesting. So there's, this links to, there's a great project called Helium, which is more on the connectivity around 5G. So is it, is Filecoin a close relative to the, the Helium in terms of its concept where everyone, be it a mom and pop shop, a, a, just a regular resident, is, is part of the network and, and, it, and, and fundamentally is participating in storage or connectivity? Is it, is it, is it similar to Helium in that way? Yeah, absolutely. So the way we've set up our storage uh, at Holon is we have like these three, uh, sorry, we have these four petabyte clusters and then we have a blade that's connected to it. So at the moment in Sydney, we're, we're scaling our system to about uh, 400 petabytes by the end of next year. Put it me, that's a lot of data storage. Uh, one petabyte equals 11,000 4K movies. So it's a lot of data storage. So you can think of the market will fracture into institutional players that get to exabyte scale. Then you can have uh, providers that will get to 50 petabytes and it will get smaller and smaller until you have, you know, uh, 10, uh, 10 or 20 terabytes that will be on the corner uh, of each street, which will be delivering data to the local community. And because it's all built on blockchain technology, everything is verifiable and all the actors can be verified. So the distribution of rewards or capital is done in a very fair way. Mm. So, so if I look at Filecoin, does it converge then with this whole thing around, well, we're going to get there soon. I mean, we're going to have, well, we're already partially there. We've got all these devices on the edge, be it in our homes, one day, fingers crossed, autonomous vehicles at scale. So, does Filecoin perfectly converge with the fact that we're going to need very much localized compute? Does it, is that a big part of the long-term bet at Holon on, on being so bullish on Filecoin? Yeah, absolutely. I, we just think like with autonomous cars, but if you think about it really, metaverse and gaming in the metaverse, uh, going from TVs to 16K, visuals, um, you're going to see a massive computation draw and a data storage need for ver uh, for NFTs and verifiable gaming assets. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, we, we, every time I look at this, I just think it just gets bigger and bigger um, because, yeah, I, I think that's just ultimately where the world, the world moves to. And I just think, uh, you know, it was really interesting when um, TikTok announced they were going to start doing uh, NFTs, because really what they said there was, OK, you, you're an artist and we're going to allow you to own and control that thing. And we're going to allow you to have micro payments around that content creation. And really, if TikTok does it, YouTube has to do it. So now suddenly that we're going to have eight million at YouTube, they've got 8 million video, uh, 800 million videos, and they're all going to turn into NFTs. And, and you're going to be able to own and control that data. And you're going to be able to make micropayments out of all those videos if they draw a big crowd. And I just think all these things uh, will need edge computing, big data centers, verifiable data, verifiable data storage will really 
be it it's core for all these assets um yeah so you see folks like obviously i know tiktok made a, a move in that space but you even see entrenched players like youtube making that shift where they start getting true ownership to the creators do you see them because their business model is that classic web two model right where they're very much strong on their take rate and the creators get peanuts right like so do you see some of the traditional incumbents being forced to change and kind of have a deploy a different model well let, let me ask you if i could offer you a platform ray where you got 80 percent of the revenue and you could see everybody that used your platform uh, your content and it was trustless transparent and it had people using it would you use it of course i'd be i'd jump across immediately but no, I, I get it I'm, I'm it's just oh god i'm asking really i'm asking the questions that my actually people ask will probably ask me around the dinner table at christmas really i think it's just our minds how we adapt to change right like i i definitely see that future but i see them being dragged kicking and screaming if that makes sense and they'll only make that move if they see another uh, emergent player in web3 kind of really gaining market share so for example you have got audius who are basically the web3 version of, of spotify i think there's a web3 version of youtube as well that the name slips my mind but are any of those players gaining meaningful traction which will force board level folks at some of those big organizations to really make the change soon or is this is this five, six years out? Uh, look, I, I think any of this stuff is all, all, is all going to be five, six years out, um, if not more. Um, but, I, you know, ultimately we're going to have some, some companies are going to be a Nokia. They get, one day they're going to be here and then one day they're going to be gone. Uh, and other companies will adapt quickly. And that's really interesting. You, you look at MasterCard, which is on our Photon portfolio, and they were doing nothing in Web3. They were just sitting there quietly and their whole business is payments, right? And you just look at Circle or, or any blockchain technology and, you know, send money near, near free. Uh, it just makes sense to you, you know, that blockchain is that payments is going to be the first one it takes down, right? And then MasterCard, you know, started integrating Circle, has start doing Circle payment, will start doing Circle payments from any business to business, they're empowering more crypto cards, they're going to do payments in Bitcoin as rewards. So you, in anywhere, anywhere in our uh, portfolio photon, we just look for the most innovative businesses on earth. So the key thing here is they're either going to innovate or they're going to die, right? Uh, and that's what you have to look for. And, you know, people like MasterCard are really going to, you know, smash it because not only are they a great business in Web2, but they're going to be a great business in Web3 as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's a couple of um, what, what you might call as incumbents or traditional names actually making some meaningful investments in Web3. Some of them actually surprised me, to be fair with you, but that's great to see. I mean, inflation's a vector, right? It, yeah. it, it means different things to different folks. And I think when you look at the CPI print, which is complete nonsense, it's just this kind of concocted basket, which actually makes no sense. But sadly... 98% of the people still believe in the CPI print or, or actually have no clue that that they're paying an invisible tax. I mean, just that problem alone, I think 
the vast majority of the world don't really get it. Obviously, people in the Web3 world and capital allocators, we get it, right? But th- this is this is another part of Web3, which I think is is the purity of Web3, where it is trying to create some form of accessible defense to a monetary system, which is failing everyone. Yeah, it's interesting. Like if you look at crypto Twitter or Australia is one of the most digitally switched on countries in the world, mainly because we're miles away from anywhere. And if you want to go in some parts of the country, if you want to go to your local shop, it might take you four hours, right? So we, it, it was really interesting, like from my education business, I knew that, you know, a lot of education in Australia happens online. So I think the conversation in Australia is actually more advanced than people think. And we've got mm-hmm. some really great senators now that are pushing Web3 digital asset innovation to be, uh, for, we, we're, they're pushing new regulations. So new digital custody laws and, and how we embrace this next wave of the internet. And um, I, I just see America, if you look at the pomp, uh, what he's been doing over the last couple of years, like I just see the millennials get it. And I think the, the the people under us get it as well. I just think there's a big part in the boomers where they're still struggling to understand, you know, what's really happening. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I couldn't agree with Pomp for me. What he's done is changed changed a big part of my life, to be fair with you. I yeah. think it's like Pomp, uh, there's two chaps at Bankless. Just yeah. all the other, I mean, that's, that's what I want the part of this pod to be. Just if it just educates three or four people, that's great, right? That 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 can spread itself. But you, I still think you, you mentioned the boomers. I actually think some boomers know, but they don't care because no, they're, they're three the houses side. already. Yeah, they're on the good side of the trade, which I think is a fucking selfish way to think. Excuse my French. I think it's just a, a cloak. Of, I'm guessing they'll have children as well, right? And or other younger nieces and nephews. But there are boomers, and actually even traditional capital allocators who um, have a different narrative. And they know it's a false narrative, but they're probably at the f- at a actual. I call it like they're at a biological age where they don't really care. <laughs> they're yeah. actually like I've kind of that part of my life where I kind of spend and and kind of grow the most is done. I'm now just trying to preserve and stay steady eddie why am i going to subscribe to this new school of thought it eats away at kind of what i believed in so i'm finding this kind of cold war going on you see it all over youtube and and i'm very much on supporting the web3 folks because i think the old world only helps a few and the rest just get marginalized and don't participate so uh, i I couldn't agree with you more and yet folks like pomp they're kind of modern day heroes in a way, and they spend most of their time educating layman folks around inflation, uh, how to protect your wealth, about Web3. So I, I couldn't agree with you more on that front. Have, have you seen um, the video between Michael Saylor and Ross Stevens? Yeah, I've seen Saylor versus, oh, there's a gold bug. What's his name? Uh, Peter He's- Schiff. Yeah, Peter Schiff. That's just more of a fun one. But I actually think I, I've seen that video. I, I, I know what you're talking about. It, is it with Robert Breedlove or is it on, on another? Uh, Robert, uh, the Robert Steve, uh, Robert Steven. Let me, uh, Ross Stevens. 
Ross Stevens. Okay. We'll add it to the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. That video is, I think, one of the first moments where Ross Stevens is just truly amazing. Uh, but it's the first time I've seen a, a conversation where two people, where they, they really lead the, the conversation from the start to the finish, where you can go, look, there's this thing called money, uh, fiat money. It's been around for a while. These are all the things that have happened to it. And, and let's just, just step back and look at what's happening to our money. And I think that conversation between them and uh, Michael Saylor and Ross Stevens is where I send every person for the first video. And if they get it and they watch that video and go, wow, then I start giving them more information. Uh, and I, I just, I think that's one of the best videos that we've had today. How are you finding it? Because I, I sometimes try sending my sister's stuff, loved ones, friends. Do you do that as well, just for fun, like on a weekend, like ping someone on WhatsApp, a video, like, hey, you might want to check this out. This is happening in the world. How, how are you finding that education phase? Do you find people go, wow, or do they just ignore it and then click on watching football? Like, how are you finding just trying to help? Yeah, yeah look. I, I don't get always get the response I want. It drives me mad. So how are you finding it? Uh, look, um, I went through a phase of like, oh, you know, there's this thing. I want to help the world. I want to tell as many people. But <laughs> not everybody listens. Not everybody wants to listen and nobody cares, right? But, you know, that's, 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 their, that's their journey. And I think my, my uh, mode now is if somebody asks, I send them to Ross Stevens and Michael Saylor. And, I, and then I always ask them, I want to know, watch the video, watch it twice, and then I want you to come back and ask me anything you didn't know. And if they come back with a whole load of questions, then I go, right, okay, I've got another Web3 web person that's going to join the revolution. Right. And if they if they don't come back, then, you know, there you go. Then they're not really going to learn. And there you go. But, yeah, it's frustrating. I think uh, everybody has their moment when they when they uh, when they're really going to get into this. And I think it's probably when somebody goes, right, I need to buy a house. How do, how do I make enough money for a deposit? Um, so now I have to actually take investing seriously. So then they better pull up their socks and start learning about Web3 or they're never going to be able to make it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, basic things like that are sometimes are basically out of reach at the moment for the current generation, right? Folks in their early 20s or starting their career. So they're either relying on helpful and kind boomer parents, uh, yeah. which isn't really that fulfilling, let's face it. It's just a hand-me-down, which is, it is what it is. But then there are – I actually am seeing – and you're seeing it on LinkedIn now and then also you see it all over Twitter of this new generation who are on, who are the trailblazers, who are on board – and they're only looking to work for Web3 companies or spend time in Web3. So, And that number is only growing um, every quarter, I'm finding. And, and I see it exponentially growing in the next couple of years, for sure. But obviously, we spun off a little bit everywhere. But, but back to scarce assets, Jonathan. So yeah. just to educate our audience, like to get their arms around digital scarcity and, and obviously then dovetailing that into to hold on. Yeah, sure. So look. Like anything we do, um, we are just looking to hoard as much scarce assets as possible, like Bitcoin, Ethereum. Ethereum with EIP-159 is watching that burning Ethereum every time it's used it is super important. So, you know, we just see digital tech stocks like MasterCard, Visa, Alibaba. They're just scarce assets of some 
innovative company that is really going to grow exponentially. Um, so, yeah, really for us, it's anything on our photon stock, any digital asset that uh, really we look at them as like Bitcoin, Ethereum and Filecoin. Yeah, there are lots of others, but we, you know, we don't have a big enough team to kind of dissect everything. Um, and there's a there's a few other things in our VC portfolio, as I said before, that we just think uh, that are businesses that will be about be able to go on an exponential tear for the next 20 years. So, yeah, that's that's really that our asset management side could probably answer that question a little bit more uh, clearer than I can. But that I, I'm more of an engineer on our side. So, yeah. OK, makes sense. and it's interesting. You guys are very bullish on eth which i mean i i love that team and i think they've got they've got the network effect they've got the developer community but obviously you, you hear the constant complaints around uh, gas fees cost scalability speed you see the folks at solana and i'm hearing cool things about solana what keeps the team there bullish on ethereum as a platform like what, what's your long-term view is that being one of the layer ones which remains and and wins long term this all boils down to one metric. There are far more developers on Ethereum than any other chain, right? Like you need people to build amazing things. And if, if there's nobody building it, it's not gonna go anywhere. You know, something could be faster, quicker, cheaper, right? From like Betamax, right? You, you can see these things that are just better, but doesn't mean that they win. Uh, you just look at the network of effect of Ethereum and you just go, nothing's gonna touch it. Now, you know, there might be other things that come along and, uh, you know, that uh, do unique things, but you just like the same as Filecoin, when something grows to six and a half thousand times bigger than its competitor, and it has over a thousand engineers building on it, like you, you, it just doesn't, you know, it's just a nice idea. And you, you saw this from EOS, right? Like um, it was quicker, it was cheaper, it was faster it was all the hype it raised the more amount of money four billion dollars but what does it do today nothing mm, yeah i mean there's also views of a a, a multi-chain world right where you might have eth own x part of the market or do certain jobs really well and then you might have solana own other segments of the market like say high frequency trading or more the fs world so do, do you see a world where there isn't just one winner. It's 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 a multi-chain world. Yeah, absolutely. So I, so when I talk about Ethereum, like if I was going to put my assets into Ethereum, I just do I, I just invest in Ethereum. Now I do believe that there will be uh, you know Ethereum is going to be the base layer, and there'll there'll be lots of other things that will build on top of it. But everything will resolve to Ethereum. Um, but um, yeah, as an investor, I just might as well own the biggest network effect protocol there is. Um, because ultimately, I, you know, it, it really is hard to go. Where do these industries land on layer two? Like, you know, th those things are still undecided. So risk versus reward. Uh, Ethereum's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, I couldn't agree with the on, on the on the developer community side. Oh, I love the team at Polygon. Uh, yeah. Obviously, they're an L2 for ETH, right, who are really dedicated to Ethereum, who already have great proof points, good velocity, and and, and loads is getting built on that L2 now, isn't it? So you're actually going to see, obviously, the, the team at Optimism. So all, all these L2s, which are 
are there for Ethereum. I really see next year being a big year for the L2s. It seems like it it's trending that way. What are your thoughts on that front? Yeah, so I, I think, uh, look, I, I don't think it's going to, I think everything's going to take a number of years, like whether it's next year or the year after. We don't really look at it. You know, we just see this as a 10-year bet. And I, um, and I think lots of things are going to come out and they're going to go away. And I think we need more regulation around all of this for it really to go from, you know, the, the, the two trillion mark to the 20 trillion to the 100 trillion. And I think as soon as we get regulation in Australia, the US, I think that's where we see serious amounts of capital come in from pension mm-hmm. funds. And when that money comes in, then I really think things get supercharged uh, to really, companies really get the capital they need to execute on those big, those big, big ideas. Um, yeah. 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 I agree. Well, I think the pension funds, that domino has to fall because their current classic 60-40 model on an allocation, it's mathematically proven it doesn't work. So it's um, it when that domino falls, and I think well, there's rumours that this thing's really going to be happening next year on that front in terms of dipping your toe into the water type allocation, which will be meaningful. So, do you think? I mean, this is all guesstimation, right? No one really knows. But do you think some of the big pension fund players will start making a small allocation next year? Absolutely. So. In Australia, we've got one of the biggest, uh, we've got a mandatory pension uh, scheme uh, called super. Uh, So we've got a really large pension industry. Uh, And at the end of the day, they're just being left behind, which is actually, they've, they've, uh, there's been some regulatory oversight here, because some of them are really underperforming. Like I just look at my personal portfolio, and I've, you know, I've beat my uh, super by like 580%. Right. And uh, and I look at my super and I just go like, I don't even care. Like, I don't even know the website because it's like uh, they don't really know what they're doing. They don't understand innovation. They they don't want to take part in digital assets or Web3. So I don't open the website and care about it. Uh, But there's a point in time where they're going to have to because, you know, there's going to be more of people like me go. Yeah. Where's the extra 100 percent you could have made? And I think. As soon as regulation comes in, the the, the regulation to custody di- digital assets um, for pension funds, then I think that's when they get involved, especially for Australia, right? Like if you think about all the custody services, we have none in Australia. Everybody uses um, the US ones and half those US ones are, are, are not even are custodied with companies that haven't got correct digital asset laws. Right. Like um, the only the only um, place which does have digital asset laws is Wyoming. And they're still waiting for their speedy banks to to come out the gate uh, with Avanti and Kraken because they're being held back uh, by um, a, a few things out there. So as soon as you can legally hold digital assets, uh, which is ruled by, you know, the governing regulation, then I think that's when pension funds come in. And ultimately, when they come in, it's like, you know, a rounding error for them is a billion dollars, right? So, you know, that's where they just start dropping big amounts of money. And when they do, they they drop it not only into, uh, you know, 
one uh, funds which are one asset only, but they they drop it into infrastructure funds, you know, uh, blockchain nodes, uh, green mm -hmm. mining, uh, green verifiable storage, uh, and they drop it into VC arms as well. Uh, and that's where you know teams go from you know five to fifty, and teams go from fifty to five hundred, and, and then really that's that's really where Web three comes in. I think. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely. I'm I'm already hearing signals. Even up, we've had someone on our pod. He he operates within Duck and, and specifically the German market. And there's already uh, mandates which are pretty much nearly finalised. Some of the regulatory hurdles have already been um, uh, in certain parts of Germany be been sorted out. So they they feel bullish on next year on some form of allocations dropping and and things changing there. So. And it seems like Australia is already ahead of the ball from a regulatory standpoint. It seems like you guys there are ahead of the curve compared to other parts of the world. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably say look, the, the, the place where there are everybody there in the, the front of the pack is Wyoming at this moment in time. Uh, and when those speedy banks get over the line uh, and they've got banking regulation, uh, which was rewritten by Caitlin Long for digital asset custody, then I think as a pension fund, you can go, look, yeah, cool. Here's a billion dollars, uh, hold our assets. And we know that you're not going to do any, anything nefarious with those assets. And if something happens to you, we, we get those, those assets back on a bailment structure. So we give them to you to hold, but we always own them, which is the key, right? You give a, you know, some kind of money to a bank. Now you don't, you lose the rights over those assets. So that's the key thing that needs to happen. And, Ultimately, we've got some amazing senators in Australia uh, that are pushing for this digital asset custody, which needs to be held on shore because you, you really want to think of digital asset custody as a security risk, i.e. if we had uh, the pension funds and, you know, ultimately, if we had a trillion dollars offshore and something happened with that custody provider offshore, you know, what, what's the Australian gonna, government going to do about it when, you know, five million um, citizens suddenly have their savings wiped out? Well, there's not much they can do. So ultimately, digital asset custody needs to go onto every shore of every country so they can uh, they can have oversight on it. Because you, you think about it like me and you, we have Bitcoin wallets and we have Ethereum wallets, right? We have self-sovereignness over those wallets. But 80% of the country doesn't want to hold a Bitcoin wallet and an Ethereum wallet. It's far too hard, right? Like, who cares about a private key? Who cares about where you store it? And, mm. you know, what happens if you lose your phone and suddenly you can't get the QR code to log back into that wallet, right? It's pain, right? Especially when I speak to my mum and dad, they're not going to do that, right? <laughs> so we, we need to get to a point where the other 80% in the country can just hold digital assets, but in a really secure way onshore um and then once we do that uh, the regulations there once they're doing that then we we're moving into a world where the financial industry consolidates right because you you don't need thirty thousand banks in the world and when everybody owns a digital wallet you, you're not really storing your wealth with a bank you're actually you, you, you allow jp morgan into the australia and you go uh you can run this uh, uh financial dap over the, the the wallets and now you can provide lending to all our citizens as long as you're licensed so you're going to see all these amazing financial applications 
but you're not going to see 30,000 banks. You're going to see, you know, 20 lending providers, which will become applications over, over, dig, uh, uh, over digital wallets. Wow, that's going to unlock so many builders on top of those platforms then, so more services for the end customer. Yeah, absolutely. So you want to, as we talk in Web3, we have money Legos in decentralized finance, right? You, you've, got, you've got the wallet at the bottom, and then you have all these lending, borrowing, all these kind of uh, money verbs applications with shit over the top. Now, that's going to happen exactly the same uh, for the other 80%. They'll just, they'll, it just won't be as self-sovereign because nobody really cares about owning and controlling their own application because it's far too hard. And I think that's really, you know, when I look at this and I, you know, when I started out, I, there was, you know, you, you have all these mobile phone providers, but really now today we just have iOS and Android, right? And, and then everybody makes the hardware. I think we're going to see the same consolidation in the banking industry, right? You'll have all these base layer wallets, but you're only going to have five mortgage providers in the whole world, right? Um, or, or you're going to have all these uh, lending companies that will specialize in lending for boats and you, you're only going to have five in the world, right? You're just going to see mass consolidation. And, and I think that's really interesting, like in an Australian perspective, because we have great regulation here and we do export uh, Australian businesses really well, like banking and education and all these kind of things. So I think if Australia really gets to itself into a position where we can build these financial applications, which sit over regulated financial applications, which sit over digital wallets, I think we'll see good take up in the Asia Pacific region um, and the rest of the world. Yeah, I mean, you've had, you've had a great story this year. I think Square acquired a business. It's called Afterpay, which I know yeah. that's one of the darlings there, wasn't it? And there were was, was so many folks in, back in the UK who had no clue who Afterpay were, to be fair with you. But they, they, they were massive. And I think after the Square deal, I think a lot of people um, saw the great work uh, done there. And that, 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 that kind of made people, I think, it was interesting. That news story then opened up other questions I noticed regarding web three and in particular DeFi, randomly for some reason that's what i noticed from, from a lot of people within my network and i was like that's interesting what after looking at the afterpay story what made you curious about DeFi or, or or just fintech as a whole it was interesting how that story just activated a different school of thought in some very traditional minds yeah so in DeFi, australia has had some great successes i mean synthetic came warwick that created synthetics that come out of Sydney, right? And that, oh, wow. that's, that's an absolute monster. So I, I think we're doing really well in the, the DeFi space, Australia. And I, we can do that in the decentralized world. And we can also do that in the regulated digital, uh, Web3 digital asset world. I, I really think of it as like Web, Web 2.5, right? Web yeah. two and a half. And that's really, uh, you get all these benefits of blockchain technology, efficiencies, transparency, um, all those things, but it's just slightly more regulated because not everybody wants to be in the crazy, uh, you know, decentralized world where, you know, you can lose value very quickly. Okay. So, so, so Jonathan, this has been great to get an overview of Holon and obviously in particular, your part of the, the organization. 
what's next for the innovation arm? Because it seems like you guys are on absolutely crushing it, what you're doing with Filecoin. But what's the plans next year and the year beyond? Yeah, so at the moment, we're scaling our Filecoin operations and we've got some really great partnerships coming out in Q1 next year. Uh, we've got a large partnership uh, with a with a hardware provider um, that will really change the game for us, uh, which will allow us to scale from petabytes to exabytes. Um, so we'll do that in next year, but we're also going to launch Ethereum validator node system. So pension funds can make, you know, six to 10% yield off those validator nodes. Um, and really anything that we see as innovative and need for the 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 underlying infrastructure of this change um yeah so look we're, we're trying to keep focus on what we do we don't we don't want to try and do too many things our engineering department is is quite small i think there's five or six of us now but we, we've got to scale that team uh next year so the engineering team probably at the end of next year is going to be you know 15 staff so yeah we uh just keep untapping the potential of Web3 and Web3 infrastructure is the key, I think, for us. And you know what you describe regarding Filecoin, where organizations, people have that self-sovereignty and control over their data. That's going to be huge in the classic enterprise space. So one of the bugbears, I'm sure you're aware of this in Web2 and enterprise software in our world, is our customers, especially our larger ones, being really concerned. And there's this big back and forth. We always get the deal over the line but lots of questions around where's that data stored? Is it secure? Those classic boring questions you get in Web 2. With this new model, that friction's completely removed, right? Because the, custom, the customer, the enterprise customer has complete control. So it'll also speed up <laughs> our traditional Web 2 enterprise software world with this model. Yeah, it's interesting. The last six months, I've heard... Uh, this numerous times, which is like, just sell me something that runs on green energy and allow it not to touch anywhere Amazon service. Like, like, you know, nobody wants to keep feeding the beast of Amazon, especially when you look at big companies out here. We've got a big uh, food chain called Woolworths. They compete with Amazon in one industry, but are giving them revenue in another industry. And, it, and they hate it, right? Uh, and you also look at uh, people like LVMH and they mandate some of their suppliers to not use Amazon storage, right? So it's, it's a problem. Nobody's fixed it yet. But I tell you what, at the moment, Filecoin is the infrastructure, the, rail, the railroad. But over the next couple of years, the middleware is going to be built, all the SDKs and APIs. And a couple of years after that, we've got all the software, you know, the easy things called, you know, that look like Dropbox that are built over the top. And then suddenly, you know, whole industries move quickly uh, because it's a problem now. So to, to make the fun part of our pod is the prediction part. So so what are you what's your forecast for 2028, 2030 in terms of the lay of the land where, where we're going to be in the maturity curve? What, for Web3? Yeah, for Web3, Filecoin, just the areas that hold and focus on. What are some of your predictions over the next kind of five, six years? I, I think it's. I think it takes us another couple of years to get regulation right. So 
that takes us to uh, 2024. And I think after that, that's when the big money comes in and that this really actually happens. And ultimately, we're going to see much more value creation due to protocols being deriving value from utility and, you know, from usage as well. Right. So I I just see the whole Web3 uh, industry being institutionalized after 2025. Wow. And, and it's and ultimately, I, I just see two parallel, two parallel systems the decentralized financial system and the regulated financial system built on the same technology. Uh, it's just one, you own your wallet and the other one you don't. And I just see there's going to be a big play. There's going to be this big tension between that industry uh, and the regulated one. Cause let's be honest, if you look at some countries, they're not going to use the regulated industry. Um, they'll use the decentralized one. So I, I think that's going to be a really interesting thematic of how those play out with each other. Brilliant. And, and also, I know it's a close neighbour. Also in New Zealand, what, what, what does Web3 look like in New Zealand? Because I know there's some good tech transfer, uh, good university uh, out there as well. So what's it like in New Zealand? Is it similar to Australia? Right. We, we've been locked down in COVID for like a year. Nobody knows anything at the moment. <laughs> we... <laughs> We, uh, I'll be honest, I don't know. We, we've just been focusing on what's happening in Sydney and around this country. But uh, yeah, it's been a funny time with COVID and uh, we've only just been uh, let out after our second stint inside. So uh, it, it's nice to be back out and start seeing people. So uh, I'll definitely have to go over to New Zealand and see what they're doing uh, next year sometime. Brilliant. Well, Jonathan, it's been great having you on Frontier Free today and hopefully we can do part two in the summer where... And get 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 a lay of the land by uh, hopefully see what's happening in the next six seven months because this space is moving exponentially quick. So uh, hopefully we can do part two in the future. Sounds good, Ray. Well, look, uh, when we hit a uh, hundred petabytes on chain for Filecoin, let's have a chat next because uh, I can tell you what we're planning after that. Awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. Have a lovely day, Ray. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Thanks. And that is it, everyone, for today's episode with Jonathan Hooker. If you enjoyed today's episode, then hit that subscribe button. If you love today's episode, then share this episode out with a friend or colleague who you feel like would benefit from listening to today's podcast. Again, if you want to grab Pat Snap's number one best-selling ebook, The Definitive Guide to Connected Innovation Intelligence, where in this ebook we explore what connected innovation intelligence is, who's it for, and how the world's disruptors are using it to win in hyper-competitive markets. To download your free copy of this incredible ebook, all you have to do is go to the description portion of this podcast and click that link or head over to patsnap.com to grab your free copy today. Thank you so much again for listening to today's episode. We'll be back next week with another one. Continue to embrace your childlike wonder and stay curious.